Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Thank you so much for being here, y'all. I really appreciate it. Like that welcome video said, you know, we're so thankful that you've chosen to be here with us. Or if you're watching online, thanks so much for being uh, tuning in with us. But like Justin said, we are wrapping up this series. We've been going through the last three weeks talking about our future. And we're talking about the different aspects of our lives that we can change and modify in order to put us in a position where we're ready to walk into the future that God has for each one of us. And so we've talked about a couple of different things. Uh, one about how we may need to make the right choices with our values, make the right, have the right uh, principles in our lives, uh, that we have to have the right guide right, with God, the Holy Spirit, following his lead and following the scripture and being obedient to God as we follow his son, Jesus. And then last week, Scott talked about uh, how important it is to have the right people around us, the mentors, the people who invest in us, the people we invest in, that they're people who are helping us and pushing us towards that future and not pulling us back into something different. And so we're going to tie the, this really all together this morning, and we're going to talk about how we can make the right decisions. But what are the tools that we can use? What are the things God gives us in order to make the right decisions in life, to take the opportunities that we have, to take uh, the chances and options that are before us to make the right choices and walk into the future, like we said, that God wants for us all. Now, when you look at the Bible, one of the things you'll notice is that when it talks about the path that we're on or the way we should go, the Bible uses a lot of figurative language. Right? It doesn't necessarily come out and say that this is the decision you need to make for your life, uh, but it will talk about a lot of different things like the right path to be on or the right road to go on or to be on or the right gate to walk through. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about these two options, the wide, and the wide road and, or the wide gate and the broad road meaning that it's, it's big, it's, it's large. There's a lot of people that are going to be on this road, uh, but this road is going to be easy and it's going to lead to death, right? This is not the road that we want to be on, but most people in life are going to take this path. They're going to take this road. And then he contrasts that with saying there's a small gate and a narrow path that not many people will be on, but it's a lot harder and it's difficult and there's going to require sacrifice, we read scripture talking about taking up our cross and follow Jesus and how when we become a Christian, it's not just this easy path that we go down that's simple and, and there's no conflict, there's no issues, there's no problems, but, but it's a small road and, and sometimes it's hard to stay on that path, but it leads to life. Okay, and so the implication we get as Jesus is saying is the way we make decisions, the choices we make will determine which road we are on in our lives. Other times the Bible uses the word door to describe these opportunities, right? It'll say like, that God opened up a door or closed a door on something. And we take that as opportunities or options for us. In Genesis chapter four, it tells a story of a man named Cain and his brother Abel. And these two brothers are off for making offer offerings and sacrifices to God. And God accepts Abel's offering, but rejects Cain's. And so because of that, Cain gets really angry about it. He gets really mad. He gets really frustrated both at God and at his brother because he accepted his brothers. And so God comes to Cain and he, he tells him this. He goes, listen, Cain, there's going to be a choice that you have to make right now. You've got to make a choice between good and bad, right and wrong. And if you choose the path of right, that's right, then you'll be blessed. But 
If you choose the path that's wrong, then it's going to ruin your life. It's going to destroy you. And here's what God says to him in verse 7. He said, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so the word door here is God telling Cain that there's an opportunity for you to make this choice and sin is crouching at your door. Like sin is crouching at, at your choices, that it's waiting for you, it's lurking after you. The same word for crouching here is used to describe an animal, like as they're laying down and they're, they're hunting for their prey and they hide and they just wait and wait for the right time and then they jump. And God says, this is what sin can do. This is the door of sin that all of us have the, the option to choose when it comes to choosing what's right and choosing what's wrong. In Revelation chapter three, Jesus gives us another example of this in verse eight. He says, I know your deeds. Look, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, that you've kept my word and have not denied my name. In the context of this is Jesus speaking to the different churches. In one of the churches, he says, you know, I know you're weak. I know you're not strong. I know you've got issues. There's obstacles in your life. There's difficulties. But even in the midst of those, you persisted. You kept on. You kept my word. You honored me. You believed in me. And so as a result, I'm going to open up a door in your life. I'm going to open up an opportunity for you to choose from in your life that leads to blessings as a result. And so Regardless of really what passage it is, it's all saying and pointing to the same thing, that, that there's doors in our lives, there's opportunities that we all have that are before us to make choices. And part of deciding our future is learning how to make the right ones, right? Learning the tools that we need to use, to, the things we need to do in order to make the right choices in our lives so that we go through the doors that God has opened for us and make sure we're avoiding the doors that either God has closed or the doors that we ourselves or someone else around us has opened instead. You know, in church, if you've been around for a while, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably noticed that Christians will use this phrase when they talk about this and they'll say things like, uh, God opened up a door for me or God opened up a door in my life, which typically means that there's now an option, if you're making a choice, there's an option that wasn't on the table before that now is something that you can choose from. And so as Christians, we associate that with being God, right? That he created an opportunity for us. He created this as an option for me to choose from. And, and so God opened up this door. Now on the other side of that, we'll say God closed a door, which means something we were choosing or maybe something that we wanted to choose, God took it off the table and made it so we can't even make that choice. And so God closes doors and opens doors in our lives. And, and so how this works is what we'll do is we'll associate open doors with God's will and close doors from the things that he doesn't want us to do. And, and even though that's not completely unbiblical, we do have to be really careful because we can't live our lives the way God wants us to live them by believing that every open door is God telling us what he wants us to do. We can sort of feel around like Scott talked about with following the Holy Spirit of the things that he wants us to do, but we need to be able to discern between what, the do what doors are the ones that God has opened uh, and, and what doors are the ones that either we have opened or are just on the table and available to us. And so as we go through this, what we need to remember is when it comes to decision-making, the natural part of who we are, the sinful nature of who we are, will always think that we've made the right choice. Okay, that's something that as you grow up, even if you're not a Christian, you'll realize that you can convince yourself really easily 
that something is good for you or something is right for you, but you can deceive yourself in a way that, that proves otherwise. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says this, that there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. It ends in death. It seems like it's the right thing to do. It seems like it's the right choice to make, but because it wasn't of God, it led to death. And if we're not careful, what can often happen is when we see open doors and associate them with being God, is we can easily deceive ourselves into thinking that the choice we make or the choice we want to make is God's will, when in reality, it's just what we want. And since it's available to us, God must have opened up that door, right? God must be the one who put this opportunity in front of me or else why would he have done that? And we'll start making decisions thinking that just because it's available, it's something we should do or an opportunity we should take. It's kind of like we, we play the game of leaving it up to chance, right? So my middle child, Rylan, he's four years old and he'll, when he's making decisions, he'll play the game like eeny, meeny, miny, moe. You know, so like if there's two choices, instead of making a decision, he'll just leave it up to chance sort of thing. Now, one of the things he'll do, though, is if he's got two options in front of him and he knows what he wants, here's what he'll do. He'll still play the game, but here's what he'll do. He'll go like, eeny, meeny, miny, moe, catch a tiger by the toe. If it hollers, let him go, eeny, meeny, miny, moe. <laughs> right? Like, so, and then what he'll do is, whoa. I didn't, it chose that one. Like, it's almost like he left it up to chance and it's crazy that it chose the right one that he wanted anyways. And that's so, so, so similar to what we do with God, isn't it? Like, there's things we want, but we've sort of learned how to play the game to where we can say, oh, this is what God wanted for me. How do I know that? Because it's available, right? Because it's an option. It's something I can choose. But really, it's just what we want. It's not necessarily God's will. And so that's, uh, that's unfortunately not how life works. We can't just take every open door and assume that it's God and take every closed door and assume that it's not the path he wants us to take. But we've got to be able to discern that. We've got to be able to figure that out. And the, the great thing is the last three weeks of this series, we've gotten tools to be able to do that right? They're going to help assist us in discerning what the will of God is of what it is that he wants for us to do. Because what we've realized is that making the right decision is oftentimes way more complicated than just choosing the right option, right? It, it, there's a lot more that goes into it. When you see the Bible and when, or read the Bible and see how they, the authors and, and how Jesus and, and how the Holy Spirit leads us and shows us how to make decisions, you'll see things about discernment, about wisdom, uh, sometimes about common sense and about the way we prepare ourselves and our lives to put ourselves in the right places. And so that's what I want us to walk away from this morning. That's what I want us to walk away from this whole series is knowing what it is that you need to do and how to use the discernment that God gives us in order to make the choices in your life to lead you to a future that God has prepared for you. And so if you want to take notes this morning, I want to encourage you to write this down for learning number one, is the first thing we need to do is we need to discern what opportunities are the doors God has opened. I tell people this a lot about Christianity. I've probably said it up here a couple of times too. But one of the best parts of being a Christian is knowing that the God of the universe has a plan for me. Now, the hardest thing about being a Christian is trying to figure it out. <laughs> right, is how complicated and confusing it could be to figure that plan out, 
Like, it's great and all. God's got a plan. The, the God who made everything and has the power to do anything he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, has a plan for my life. But how am I supposed to figure out what that is? Right? What are the steps I need to take in order to figure that out? How do I tell the difference between something that's right for me compared to something that's available to me? Because again, there's a big difference there. Just because there's an open door doesn't always mean God is the one that opened it. We've got to use discernment. And when I say discernment, I don't want to confuse you. Discernment is just a spiritual tool that God gives to believers to be able to figure out and distinguish between what's right and what's wrong or what's good and what's bad, or what's wise or unwise, or in our case, what's God's will and what's not God's will. And, and we see throughout the scripture that this is one of the most important things that as Christians, we need to ask God for, things we need to hone in on our lives and really refine, is this ability to discern the, the things that God wants us to do compared to the things that he doesn't. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. To not be conformed, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so what Paul is saying here is the way that we can discern God's will is by testing it by testing the different options that we have before us, that testing those opportunities and those doors that we have to choose from is by discerning them, by testing and examining as many layers of that choice as we possibly can. He talks about a lot of this, like evaluating it, that the part of our goal in making decisions is to evaluate what the right choices are to make. Because the hard part of discernment is, like we said before, there's things that look good and look right, but in the end, they lead to death. I mean, just think about the sins of, of lust, of greed, of jealousy, of envy. Those are the type of sins in our life that, that aren't just bad because they're sinful, but because they can deceive us and convince us that something that's evil and something that's wrong is something we need to do. And it makes it look really good, makes it look really appealing to us. I mean, just think about, about the first sin in the entire Bible, right? Adam and Eve. What does the Bible say? What's the reason why Eve ate the fruit of the tree? Right, because it looked good. It looked delicious. Here's what she says in Genesis, or here's what the Bible says in Genesis 3, 6, that she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. I think we miss that. Sometimes when we read that verse, we over-spiritualize it and try to figure out, like, was she trying to be better than God? Did she think that she could, you know, know more than God or that she was smarter, or had more wisdom? Or what was the reason she wanted to sin so bad? And, and sometimes we miss just what it says, that she chose that way. She made that choice because it looked good, right? It looked appealing. It looked right. It seemed like that made sense. Why else would God put a tree here that looked so good if he didn't want us to eat it? Sometimes sin does that to us. It can deceive us and mess up that discernment process. That's why it's so important to be evaluating and examining the different layers of, of everything we can with those options we have. Another great example is in Acts chapter 17, where Paul and Silas and a couple other people, they're planting churches all over this area, and they're going from church to church, city to city, and they would meet in the synagogues. The first thing they'd do, they'd get off the boat, and they'd meet in the synagogue to try to preach the gospel, to get a platform to teach the people how Jesus fulfills a lot of the prophecies that they had been waiting for in, in Judaism. 
And so in this one particular church, this group of people called the Bereans, he praises them in Acts chapter 17 by saying this about them, that they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Okay, so instead of just blindly accepting everything Paul was telling them as a church and just thinking, oh, he said it, so it must be right, it says they were going to the scriptures, they were going to the Bible, and they were examining it. They were trying to figure out whether or not what they were saying was actually true. And I love that because the word here for discernment in examining is the same word in the original word in the Greek language. The same word that we would use would be uh, equivalent to doing due diligence, if you think about like the legal and financial world. And when you do something like due diligence, the process of due diligence, what you're doing is if you want to get a loan or if it's a small business loan or a larger loan or maybe even a mortgage, what the, the company is going to do is they're going to look at every aspect of your finances. All right, if you ever bought in a house, you know that they're going to go through your bank statements. They're going to go through your credit card statements. They're going to look at your payment history. They're going to look at how you've treated money in the past. And they're going to examine as much as they possibly can about you and your decision-making ability to make sure that this isn't an investment that that investment firm wants to make. Is giving this person, smart, is giving this person money a smart idea? Is this the right choice for us to make? In the Bible, what God is saying here is that this is exactly what God wants us to do in the decision-making process that we go through in our lives, is to do the process of, of going through the process of due diligence, of examining as, as deep as we can, as much as we can, what are all the aspects of this decision? Where is this going to lead me to? Where am I going to end up in, in a year from now or five years from now? Where is this going to bring me in 10 years from now? Is this going to bring me closer to God or is this going to push me away from him? And so we need to be using our discernment. We need to be asking God for our discernment, but we need to be using the discernment that he gives us to figure out the plans that he has for us in our lives. Now, the testing that we do is really important because all of us naturally will do our own testing and it's really flawed. Okay, so here's what we'll do. All of, maybe without even realizing it or not, all of us go through this testing process internally and we do it like this. The things that have a higher level of resistance we assume that they're bad. Just naturally, like if it's hard, if it's difficult, we don't want to walk down those roads. Compared to least resistance, the path of least resistance, that's more likely what we're, where we're likely to go down, right? Even when it comes to spiritual things, we assume if God wants us to do something, there's no way that there'd be so many difficulties, there's so many trials, there's so much testing involved. He must want something different. And so what we do is naturally assume that the hard things in life, the difficult things, the things that cause struggles aren't the doors and not the opportunities he wants us to take, but it's the things that are easy and the things that are simple for us, the things that make the most sense and offer the path of least resistance. But when we live that way, we will absolutely miss out on so much of what God has for us. Because the truth is, often God leads us through doors and provides opportunities that are right for us. And when we encounter those things, it often seems impossible. Some of those things are, are decisions and, and options and opportunities that seem incredibly impossible, which is kind of the point that we're supposed to rely on God who can do the impossible, but we can't shy away from the things that are hard and assume that if it's difficult, it must not be what God wants. Because of learning number two, we need to be prepared 
for significant levels of resistance when God opens doors. The longer you're a Christian, the more you realize this, is that the things that are, are best for you, the things, that are, the things that God wants and has for you, are often really difficult. The story in the Bible, uh, or a story in the Old Testament of this guy named Nehemiah, it's a short book, it's like 13 chapters, and it's easy to miss because it's so little. But it's one of the best stories in the Old Testament, in my opinion, because it tells the story of a guy who, uh, he's known for rebuilding the, the, the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so the Babylonians, the enemies of God, they come in and they destroy the city of Jerusalem. They knock the walls down, knock the temple to the ground, they burn the gates to the ground, and they take the, the men, women, and the children, and they exile most of them uh, out of Jerusalem and into Babylon, which eventually would become the Persian Empire. And so Nehemiah is the child of one of the, par of the parents who had been exiled. Okay, and so this, this kid, he grows up in the Persian Empire, never been to Jerusalem a day in his life, never really knew much about it, but he starts to hear stories as he gets older of what the city represented, of how it was God's promise to the people, and it was the, the, the thing that he brought them out of Egypt for the slavery, and, and, and all these amazing things that God did, he did it in order to bring them and provide to them uh, this land, this, this amazing place, but it had been destroyed because of their disobedience. And so Nehemiah started to grow, he was burdened for it, and he started to have his heart be broken over the people who are left there and, and over the, the blessings that his people were missing out on because of the walls being destroyed and the temple being crushed. And so what he does is he starts to pray for God to open up a door. Because he served the king of Persia in, as, as an official, to him, and, and he had somewhat of a relationship with the king to where he might be able to, to do something about this. And so he starts praying for God to open up a door for him to talk with the king in order to get the king to let him go to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Okay, and so he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he waits for God to open up the door. And the Bible says one day the king comes in and sees that Nehemiah is sad. He's, he's upset. There's clearly something wrong. He's usually not like this. And so the king asks him, what's going on? And Nehemiah tells him, you know, about the city, about how he's burdened for it. And so the king says this to him. He says, if there was anything I could do for you, one thing, what would it be? And Nehemiah says, the, the one thing would be for you to let me get a team together and go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city and rebuild the temple of God for my people. And the king grants him that wish and he lets him go back to Jerusalem. And what we read is that he goes back and he sees the walls just annihilate it, right? It looks just, it's, everything's in ruins. Like the people are oppressed. The, the remnant that had been left there had been oppressed. It was a terrible place to live. And he knew in that moment that this is where God had led him. This was a door that God opened for him in his life. And he put a team together and started to rebuild the city. Now, the reason I love that story so much is for two reasons. One is because it shows us the preparation process of Nehemiah, right? That he, he prayed when he, when there's something that he wanted, he prayed and he waited for God to, to give it to him or to open up that door, that he didn't try to manipulate the circumstances. He didn't try to, to egg on the people who were in power. He didn't try to revolt or do it on his own. He prayed to God and he waited for God to do it. And the second reason I love this story so much is because even though God opened up this door for Nehemiah, he, he basically cleared out none of the obstacles, 
The, the path that Nehemiah went on from this point on in rebuilding the wall for what ended up being, I think it was like 53 days, was the hardest, most difficult obstacle that he'd experienced in his entire life. Because when he gets back to Jerusalem, he realizes that not everybody wanted the city rebuilt. Even the people who had been there stuck and imprisoned by these other people, they didn't even want it built. And people would mock him and ridicule him. The Persians did the same. All the enemies of Israel did the same thing. They, they made fun of him and criticized him for being so foolish to try to rebuild a city that clearly God didn't protect in the past. So why would he protect it now? And, and made a ton of problems and obstacles for Nehemiah. There was at one point, they, they threatened Nehemiah that they would come in and destroy and attack all of the construction workers when they were rebuilding just because they thought it was so foolish and they wanted to mess with them. And so what Nehemiah did is he gave them all weapons and gave them armor and shields to defend themselves if that happened. If they, his enemies came and tried to attack him, they'd be able to defend themselves. And so the Persians see this and they're like, whoa, 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 like what's going on here? Like you're, you're equipping your, your people. Are you, you know, they think, are you going to revolt against us? Are you going to do something bad here? And, and so it became this whole mess, this huge thing. There's all these problems and issues and trials that he was going through and, and hurdles he had to jump over. And when you read the story, what you, you've got to be thinking is, you know, how did this guy do it? Or maybe even know how, why did he do it? Because at some point you've got to be thinking, this is so difficult. Like, why is this so hard for me? And maybe it's so difficult because this isn't what God wanted. Maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe I went through the wrong door. Maybe I took the wrong opportunity and made the wrong choices and it put me here in a place where it's so difficult for me to do this. But what you see is the resilience of Nehemiah of, of knowing this is what God wanted for him and he wasn't gonna let anything stop him from doing it. I think we learn this lesson from Nehemiah, but we also learn this throughout the scripture is that resistance is often an indicator that this is exactly what God wants us to do. At least it's more of, of, an, of an indication that this is what he wants than it is the, that it's easy, right? If it's easy, sometimes that means, you know, there's no obstacles, there's no resistance is, you know, it seems right, but is this really what God wants? Or is this something that is just simple for me to do? It's easy for me to accomplish. It's easy for me to, to keep moving forward with. I don't need patience. I don't need endurance. I don't need to be steadfast through this. And that's how many of us end up coasting throughout life, not taking risks, not trying things out, not doing things that we, we know could be what God has for us. In James chapter one, verse two, James says this, when troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Isn't that weird? Like, isn't it weird that he's saying, like, when troubles come in your life, to consider them opportunities for joy? Like, how does that work? Like, how do you associate troubles and trials with joy? And he tells us in verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So what James is saying here is one of the most important parts of our lives as followers of Christ is figuring out what God's will is. But even more important than that, it's when you figure it out to stop at nothing until you achieve whatever that is. To not let anything get in your way. And actually, when those troubles come and those obstacles come or the delays come or, or people try to discourage you from doing whatever that is, to consider that a good thing, right? That's a joy. 
right? You can be confident in knowing that when you experience these trials, you experience this testing period, it's because God is doing something within you to create in you the ability to accomplish what he set out for you to accomplish. That it's God refining us. And it says he's, he's producing endurance in us that gives us the capacity to, to withstand the trials and the testing and the struggles and the discouraging seasons in our lives. He's saying every time you encounter resistance, understand that, that this is a, a, a way God is using to refine you. That when you are doing what God called you to do, and you're living obediently to God. We talked two weeks ago about how we're supposed to be obedient to God through the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit lead us. There's a lot of stuff in the scriptures that's difficult to do. There's a lot of stuff in there that will cause us to be mocked and ridiculed and look like fools and seem like we're unintelligent or seem like we're crazy for trusting in someone to accomplish something instead of going and doing it ourselves. Being obedient, living our lives for Christ, living in the will of God is not an easy thing to do. But he says it's producing something. And it's getting us ready and it's equipping us to be used by God in the way that he created for us. But we need to test it. We need to discern. We need to dive deep into those options and see what is it that God wants? What makes the most sense in light of everything God teaches me in the Bible? Everything God has done in the past, how does that help me make decisions and choose the right things of choosing what's right or wrong, good or bad, biblical, unbiblical, God's will or not God's will? So we need discernment for that, to know when to keep fighting, to know when to keep persisting and to be steadfast through those trials. But it's important, the discernment process, it's tricky because the reason why it's so hard is because there will be times where resistance means it's a door being closed, which is learning number three. We need to discern when God has closed the door. So the reason why we just can't go through every single door or take every opportunity that we see before us is because there's going to be certain things that God closes the door. Maybe we're in the middle of the doorway or we're already through it, or maybe we're before it and not making the, haven't made the decision yet, but there will be times in our lives where God closes doors for us. And one of the most important things that one of a mentor I had when I was in college told me is that even though God might open a door for you, that doesn't mean that door is open forever, right? Sometimes God's going to close doors in our lives to protect us. Maybe you break up with someone who you thought you were going to marry. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you get passed over for that promotion, or maybe the, you get outbid on the house or, or whatever it is, there's things that will happen in our lives that God, that he closes those doors and, and takes those opportunities off the table in order to protect us. And that's a hard one because it's not like we can see what he's protecting us from in the moment. It's usually not until much later in life that we can look back and say, that makes sense. Like that hurts, that was devastating in the moment, but now I'm starting to see what you're doing. You did this to protect me. You did this to protect my life, to protect my family, to protect my heart and my soul and, and my love by, by closing this door in my life at this point because you were opening the door for something else. And so sometimes God closes doors because he's protecting us. Other times he's closing doors just simply because there's a time frame and a time limit on a lot of things we have in life. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, especially chapter three, 
you see that he talks a lot about uh, the opportunities we get or the things we get to do with our lives, that, that for a lot of it, there's beginning points and there's ending points. And once that door is closed, it's not because we did something wrong. It's not because we, we sinned or because it was gonna lead us to do something wrong even. It's just because the season for that is over. He says in verse one here that all things have their season and in, in their times, all things pass under the sun. Right? In other words, there's things by design in our lives that, that don't really, maybe don't make sense in the moment, but there's things in our lives that have a start date and they have an end date. And that's predetermined by, not by us, but by God himself. And so he gives some examples. In verse two, he says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. That one's kind of obvious. In verse five, he says, there's a time to embrace and a time to turn away. Right, that there's things in our lives where we only have a small season to embrace them and to, uh, you know, I think of kids, right? My, our, my oldest just went off to kindergarten last week and so badly I want to like help him on the bus and make sure he's seating with a friend and he's not doing anything crazy or bad and not getting made fun of and I want to go protect him and coddle him and make sure he's safe and make sure everything's going how I want it to go for him. Um, but I can't do that, right? I'd be the crazy person getting on the bus with my kid. <laughs> Right? There's certain seasons in our lives, as you think about like, like that children, like you, you only have a certain window of opportunity with those kids to instill in them the things you want to, and then you've got to trust someone else. Right? You've got to trust that, that, that you know, maybe other people or maybe um, you know, someone who's in charge, the teacher or the bus driver, that they're taking care of them and they're going to do what needs to be done. And so there's times where we need to embrace and we have to embrace and get to embrace, but there's times we have to let go. And we have to let those things work out the way they're supposed to. Now, luckily, his teacher goes to this church, so I can just ask her how he's doing, but <laughs> it makes me more spiritual to say that. <laughs> Verse six, he says, there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. And that just, again, points to and reaffirms that there's certain things in our lives that we have a limited time with and a limited option time of, of once that's over, once that time is up, it's done. That opportunity is, the door is closed and it cannot be opened back up. And so this is the hard part of discernment. You know, like the hard part is of even these verses, right? There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. It's hard to discern where you're at at that, right? Where are, are you? Are you at the time to keep right now? Or are you at the time where you need to throw away? Are you at the time where you need to embrace or are you at the time where you need to turn away? And so part of why it's so important to be making sure we're making the right decisions is because there are a lot of different options and there are a lot of different paths that we can go down. And so it's important for us to know where we are on that list. And then learning number four, and this is the last learning, we need to be doing the right things in preparation if we want God to open those doors. You know, there's things that we need to do as followers of Christ to set ourselves up for God opening up doors and providing opportunities for us to walk through them. I mean, we could take Nehemiah's example right off the bat, right? He prayed and prayed and then waited, right? So he, he had that on his heart. He knew what God wanted. And so he prayed for God to open up a window of opportunity for him to have that conversation with the king. And so that's really important. That's where we all need to start. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking God. Jesus even says, and I think it's Matthew 21, that, that we have to ask if we want, there's things we want in our lives. We've got to ask in faith. And he's faithful to give us those things. And, and it's not like a Santa Claus, like we just ask him and we get it. 
But there's things that we have, if, if they're in God's will, even if they're in God's will, we have to still ask for it. Even and if he's gonna do them or wants to do them in our lives, there's indication that he still wants us to be asking. And so that's where we need to start. But another thing we need to do, and this is probably something we don't do, just more so because we don't realize how important it is, is we need to be willing to open up doors for other people too. I mean, when you think about the way Jesus talks and you read through and really try to or really see the, the methods that Jesus teaches, of like the way he communicates truth, a lot of times you'll see this, that, that Jesus is often confusing in the way he says certain things. And what scholars call this is the law of reciprocity. And it's basically saying this, that God does things for us based on how we do them for other people. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, it says that in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. Or in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he says, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. For the measure you use, it will be used for you. And so we see this really often. New Testament, Old Testament, Proverbs 11 says the same thing. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. But do you see how that works? Is that there's certain things in our lives that God will give us based on how we give them to other people. Or there's certain things that God will only do in our lives based on how we do them for other people as well. They reciprocate one another. And when we talk about making the right decisions and asking God to open up doors in our lives, one of the most important things we need to be willing to do is open up doors for other people. My parents, when I was little, especially my dad, he would, you know, he instilled in this, like drilled this in me. But whenever we'd be walking into a building, like a restaurant or in the store or something, and if there was ever someone behind us walking through the doors, he would always hold the door for them. Like, oh, it didn't matter if there's like 45 people walking through and he's sitting there holding that door. And I remember as a little kid asking him why he does that. Like, well, like why don't you just let them do it? And he said something like this. It wasn't exactly like this, but this was the, the point of it. Is that because someday you're going to need someone to hold a door for you. And so you better be willing to hold the door for other people if that's what you expect someone to do for you at some point. And I think when it comes to opportunities and decisions and living our lives following Jesus, we need to understand how important it is to be willing to do those things for other people if we expect God to do those things for us. Right? That's why Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, he, says, he teaches us to do it in a way where we say, Lord, forgive me of my sins as I forgive others. In the same way I'm forgiving others, Lord, we're asking you, we're begging you to forgive us of our sins. Right? We need to be willing. We need to be people who are willing to open up doors for other people and live our lives in such a generous way, like we learned last week, where that's how God treats us. Job chapter 30, uh, 31, I believe, 31 verse 32 says this, I've never turned away a stranger, but have opened my doors to everybody. And the reason Job does that is not just because he's a nice guy, but he knows that if he wants God to open up doors for him and give him opportunities, then he better be willing to open up doors for other people. And so as we close this out this morning, close this whole series out, what I really want you to understand is, is how important it is that our decision, of, of what role our decision-making process makes in where we end up in our lives, where it quite literally decides our future. And so we need to be choosing the right values. 
We need to be choosing the right guide. We need to be surrounding ourselves with the right people. And we need to be making the right choices. If we do those things, the promise that we get is that we can have the confidence in knowing that where we end up in our lives was exactly what God had in plan in mind when he planned out from the beginning of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you and, and recognize that decision-making is so hard for a lot of us, for all of us. That even sometimes the simplest of decisions can, can be the hardest things to determine. And so, God, we just ask, just like Nehemiah asked for you, God, to, to be our strength in that and to be the one in our lives that opens up the right doors and shows us which doors we're supposed to go through and walk through in our lives. Help us to understand the importance of our choices and God, to seek the wisdom. Your, your word says in the book of James that if we don't have wisdom, then we need to ask you. And if we ask without doubting, then you are faithful to give us the wisdom that we need in order to withstand and with order to endure the trials and the testing that we will go through. And so God, we ask you this morning, please open up doors for us. Please provide opportunities for us of where you want us to be. And God, let us know when you're closing doors. Let us not be people who stand in the doorway and, and get hurt because we are refusing to move out of the way of a door you're closing in our lives. Help us to be willing to be patient, to wait and see the big picture, and to be steadfast and endure in the moments where those obstacles do come our way. God, we love you so much for what you've done for us and what you're doing, and God, for what you're going to do in our future. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as always, thank you all so much for being here. Um, you know, if you want to fill out that connection card, you can do that through our app or through that QR code on the seat back in front of you. Just scan that. If you've got a prayer request, you want to get plugged in somewhere, if there's anything you want to know about the church, please do that. Um, but thanks again for being here. This series is coming to a close today, so I hope you invite a friend and join us next week for a brand new series. Thank you so much.